Greetings, parish orphans and retrogrades. Big news this week out of the Supreme Court, as you well know, it looks by draft opinion, by leaked draft opinion anyway, that Roe versus Wade is to be overturned in the release of the official uh, holding of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health next month. There's been tons of fallout on this, tons of commentary. I think most of, it is, most of the commentary has been very underwhelming. Not here on Rules for Retrogrades. Today I have two extremely distinguished guests, and I'm, I'm also proud to say I'm bragging a little bit, friends of the program. Uh, and I'm going to introduce both of them to you right now. The first is, because his name came up first on my bio here, uh, John Zornetsky, who is the Chief Executive Officer and Dean of Ave Maria Law. Uh, John Zonetsky is a pra- uh, graduate of MIT and the University of Virginia School of Law. I also have for you Ronald J. Rieschlack, who is a distinguished professor of law at the University of Mississippi School of Law and is holder of the Jamie L. Witten Chair in Law and Government and Ron and I have even gotten together and had a, a bite here in Hattiesburg. I'm, I'm truly pleased to have both of these gents on, and you guys are friends. We're free to mix it up now. Thank you for coming <laughs> on with me. It's a real pleasure, Tim. Happy to be here. <laughs> okay. You know, well, I was I, at the University of Mississippi for 27 years, so yes, Ron and I know each other pretty well. You guys are homeboys. Yeah, that's that's uh, we were we were kind of all talking when me and me and Ron got a bite to eat here in Hattiesburg. Uh, you were texting and we were we were sending yeah. messages and we have a little I think I think we've had a little group text before. So when stuff like this happens, for one thing, it's a bit of a muscle for me that I don't get to flex too often doing what I do now, which is usually current events in the Catholic Church. Dobbs versus Jackson women's health is a bit of, it's, a, it's an excellent thing in about two ways that we're going to talk about here today from my perspective, abortion, blue state, red state, but also a third way because it gives me the opportunity to talk. My other passion besides Aristotomism is constitutional law, particularly constitutional law where we get to beat up on the 14th amendment. That's my other passion. And so it's, it's, Important because what essentially we're speculating is going to happen next month. I'll, I'll throw this first one to you, John, is an overturn of Roe versus Wade. And I guess this is really the second main thing I wanted to talk about. But introductorily, it, it gives the issue back to the states and everyone's talking about it. First off, I mean... Do you think blue staters are going to revolt or to leave as they're threatening to do? There's a planned assault on Sunday masses everywhere by these blue haired freaks, blue stater, blue haired freaks on Sunday. What do you think they're going to do and why? Well, um, I think it's a mistake to underestimate the vehemence of the reaction that we will see. I certainly hope that there won't be disruptions of Catholic masses, but would it would it shock me? No. Um, I, you know, I I hate the thought that this will lead to to violence. It's it, it's ironic that a decision stopping the 
aborting the killing of babies is going to lead to violence in Catholic masses. Uh, I'm afraid that I, I am worried about it, but uh, I also have a lot of confidence in faithful Catholics that we will respond in the great tradition of our church uh, and, and of uh, Christianity, that we, we should not meet violence with violence unless it's a matter of self-protection. So it's not a very profound statement. I'm not very good prognosticator about social things. I'm constantly surprised, usually on the low end of things, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think, uh, Tim, on your broader uh, issue of sending things back to the states, I've done a couple interviews with folks in, in Catholic media. And uh, one thing that folks haven't thought through, I think, is throwing this back to the states does not spell the end of the pro-life movement. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and multiply our efforts times 50 or, or 30 or whatever number of states where uh, there is still going to be work done. I'm sure you saw Gavin Newsom talking about all the things he's going to do in your former home state. Yes. Uh, there's, if anything, a lot more work to be done and less centralized. So I think that's one thing that maybe in celebrating, and it's also premature to celebrate until the decision is uh, uh, handed down officially by the court. Uh, we saw with the Obamacare decision several years ago that draft opinions can sometimes turn into dissents because votes change before the final decisions handed down. So there's, a, right. yes, it's, it's worth celebrating. It's certainly worth discussing, uh, but there's more work to be done, even if this ends up being the, the decision of the court. You're referring to Obergefell, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah people forget about Obergefell and old Chief Justice John Roberts, who changed, changed his position two nights before the uh, holding, was it? And, and then to go back to your con law uh, class, going back to law school, as, as I am in my mind, remember the old uh, a switch in time save nine, where uh, Franklin Roosevelt, I forget which case it was, did some jawboning uh, directed to the Supreme Court when they started um, holding that aspects of the New Deal were unconstitutional. There was jawboning about packing the court back then, and then magically votes changed in subsequent cases. And that's known as a switch in nines, a switch in time save nine that ended the original court backing scheme. So it's not unprecedented. We, we need to be, we, yes, celebrate, but approach with humility and, and, and really back those justices that it looks like are on uh, joining Justice Alito. That was just a, a coincidence, John. I, I'm the one man in the world that believes that was just a coincidence. With that. I, I, I'm joking. Oh, I, no. I've forgotten yeah. that from your uh, your book. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it, it, it really wasn't, guys. The switch in time that saved nine was uh, leftist, uh, communist, FDR-style threats landing. That's indeed what it was. And it's something that Biden and the Dem crew in Congress have, have taken up. Um, but okay, back to whether or not blue states will revolt or leave. It's going to be a theme that we recur to in both the second and the third topics that I have you for today. Um, Ron, shouldn't, you're, you're, we're all here in the South. 
shouldn't we, the red staters, just grant blue staters this no-fault divorce? We were talking about metaphorical divorce before we rolled tape. And should we just grant them this? You know, what, what are leftists always saying? It's, it's for the kids. Mommy and daddy don't love one another anymore, but, but we still care about the kids, you know, the progeny. It, it would be best to just leave well enough alone and have a, a peaceable divorce the way they're always propagandizing us with, that there's such a thing as peaceable divorce between a man and a wife. Well, there's not. That is war on the civil society, uh, divorce, the, the very proposition of divorce between man and woman. But I'm very pro-divorce, uh, peaceable divorce, no fault divorce even, when it comes to red and blue staters. There is no love between daddy and mommy anymore. We are, we are daddy, they are mommy. Well, well, Tim, you know, uh, uh, the South tried to divorce once. It didn't go so well. <laughs> when, when, when Bush came to shove, they didn't, they didn't really sign the documents. Uh, so I, yeah. I think we got to be careful about uh, uh, thinking of actually breaking up the nation. I do think there's, there's a divide. But, you know, I mean, like I'm from the Midwest. There's an awful lot of, uh, of really good people. And, 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 and John and I spent a lot of time up in New York. Uh, and uh, working uh, for, for, the, for the Holy See at the United Nations. Awful lot of good people throughout the country. And the, the majority, the, the big cities are where we see the, the real problem. I mean, you look at a map of, of votes and, you know, that's where you're going to see the blue is, is on, on the big cities. Uh, and so there's that, there's that divide almost more than states in some ways. Um, as you were talking, as John was talking in particular, I, I was thinking about New York because John and I became pretty good friends with Father Newhouse, who's passed away now, but he used to run the uh, First Things uh, uh, Journal, which was brilliant. He did yeah. some hosting on EWTN and such. Um, I remember talking uh, about protests at churches and sort of saying that everybody always complains. And he's like, yeah, because they recognize it's the Catholic Church that stands on the other side. They protest to Rome or they protest at St. Patrick's in New York. They recognize that we are the people standing up for traditional marriage, for children, for traditional rights. Uh, and that's why the, you, you sometimes may feel put upon as a Catholic, but, but being the focus of hate from the other side says that you're in the right place. Agreed. Agreed. It shows we're over the target. It also shows even the secularists understand that we are, the one true church, the one true faith, in their visceral uh, uh, animal way. <laughs> I mean, you know, like like I think Oliver Wendell Holmes said, even even a dog understands the difference between being kicked and being tripped over. Uh, since oh. since since we're, we're we're legal panel today, we should be quoting Holmes. Um, uh, but okay, here's the thing: I want to push back, and I'll I'll go back to um, to John on this. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, they, that first. Uh, case in 1937 reflecting the court's coincidental new attitude uh the, the first appearance thereof was uh west coast hotel v uh parish uh by the way yes. for the legal trivials out there i had to look it up i had to look it up in uh kevin rc goodsman's excellent book uh you're going back to your law school books now bringing them back in the middle of the interview i don't know if that's fair it's <laughs> yeah 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 well 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 the politically incorrect guide just so you both, you know, to the constitution is a Regnery book. You know, Regnery is a greatest great publishing, company. great publisher. Yeah. Excellent. Greatest secular conservative book publisher in the world and literally the best and the biggest. Um, but I took nine courses on the constitution or jurisprudence 
in law school at USD at the Center for Originalism there, I had no interest in practicing law, which I've told people before, because I was coming from doing a PhD in philosophy in Rome, and I just had no interest in anything but theory. And con law is the most flexed muscle in terms of philosophical jurisprudential theory. And here's the thing. I, I don't want to just gloss past it. I don't want to. You guys sound like you might disagree. But when it comes to red state, blue state, we're, this is going to move us in a second on to Hadley Arkey's uh, piece on, first, uh, on Catholic thing uh, two days ago. But I, I don't want to just rush past the, the mommy-daddy divorce issue between red and blue state. There is truly, in the truest sense, from Aristotle and Plato through uh, Boethius and St. Augustine, through the early Middle Ages up to Bellarmine and Thomas, then late Middle Ages, Suarez, Mariana, the other Salamancans, right through Pio Nono, Pope Pius IX, who actually supported Jefferson Davis. And then um, through Pius X and especially Pius XI in Quadragesimo Anno, there is a strong tradition, A, of subsidiarity. This is the, it doesn't matter what type of regime you have. There are three good regimes that the Catholic Church has always endorsed. A republic is one of them. They all have a perverted form. We're definitely in the perverted form of republic now. Um, but, but all of these Catholic and proto-Catholic thinkers, if you include Plato and Aristotle, include in their republican theory, it must be subsidiarian. You have to have local power. It's the equivalent of a collective mortal sin, says Pius XI, to not have subsidiarity in the republic. And... Um, and you have to, for each of these, the central thing in a republic has to be a res publica. And the res publica says all of these thinkers, plus let's even toss in Montesquieu, who was a lapsed Catholic, who returned to the faith on his deathbed. Um, you have to have a res publica. And Augustine writes more than anyone on this. There is simply no res publica shared between red staters and blue staters. Montesquieu says, look, there are three cardinal rules for republics. One was basically about, you know, there shouldn't be shared powers between the three branches. We won't talk about that. But th there are two rules of these three cardinal rules that Montesquieu has that if he's right, it means we should definitely get a divorce. And I take him to be right. First rule is republics must be small. I mean, the size of one of our smallest states. There is no historical precedent, uh, John, for a continent-sized republic, which is the United States takes up 60% of the population of North America. Ridiculous. So a continent-sized republic is a contradiction in terms. The, we're talking about historical instances, Little Malta, the island of England, the Swiss cantons, the Venetian island. These are the most successful thousand-year republics on the globe before they became corrupted and died. And yet we've had this, you know, a quarter of that time run in the sun. It's because we tried to make a continent-sized republic, which is a contradiction in terms. And the second rule is, well, if you try to be big, like any club, a res publica is a club, then you can't keep the ideological boundaries straight. You can't keep the ideology pure. A res publica should not have ideological diversity. Ethnic diversity is another thing. But ideological diversity, no. It needs to have a res publica. This is Montesquieu's second rule. Everyone needs to have the same morality and religion. 
or else there is no res publica. So if, if I'm, I'm assuming that both of you guys are going to politely or gently push back on me, then we are saying Montesquieu is wrong. And I, I, I think he's right. But let, uh, just to be clear, it's either Montesquieu and the whole Republican tradition, including Aquinas and Aristotle and all the other smarty pants you don't want to run foul of, generally speaking. Um, they either got it wrong or we're just not a republic. And also the other thing is 1776. This stands for the proposition that it's, it wasn't a one-time deal now, I'm not suggesting violence. I'm suggesting a no-fault divorce. The blue states are going to want to leave next month. And I say, bye-bye, like Damian Lillard waving to Russell Westbrook three years ago in the playoffs after he hit that three. What do you, what do you say, John? And then what will you say, Ron, after that? Well, uh, boy, Tim, you threw a lot out there. And I certainly do not pretend to be a philosopher. I'm a lawyer that reads books. Uh, but uh, I, I guess... I think that the problem is, and you touched on this, a lack of a shared, shall we say, morality or governing ethos. Um, what's happened, I'll just give you my reaction to what you said. What's happened in our country is uh, a loss of, in the culture, a common background to our law. So what is Aquinas's definition of law? You know, an ordinance of reason promulgated by the proper authority uh, that serves the common good. Well, we Americans in 2022 won't even talk about what is the good. The highest value seems to be freedom. I'm free. Well, freedom is a tool to serve the good and the true and the beautiful. Freedom is not a absolute value in and of itself. And yet it is, it seems to, this is John Zarnetsky's great theory of uh, politic, American political philosophy. Freedom has come to be the only good in our society. And that is devastating. It, we're reaping the whirlwind of that uh, devastating fact in our society. But, but, but also it gives me hope uh, we see the devastation. It, perhaps, Tim, uh, this uh, rejection of Roe versus Wade will lead to us recapturing some type of common ethos. I know that makes me sound like a you know wide-eyed idealist, but I, I'm not. Let me back up and just answer you directly. I'm not ready to declare divorce yet because. Uh, I'm, and Ron will tell you, I'm generally a pessimist about human nature, uh, very much so. But I'm not a pessimist about the truth. The truth always wins in the end. It may take more than our lifetime. But I have friends, very smart friends that I love, who have been saying to me, why do you care about Supreme Court justices and politicians, what they say about abortion? That's never going to change. Well, you know what? I've lived to see it. We're on the cusp of it changing. And that's because I believe truth wins out in the end. So my response to what you said is, I still have hopes for our culture, even as degraded as it seems to be now. I know that doesn't directly uh, answer your philosophical point, but that, that's my reaction to what you said. No, that, that's, that's a very direct uh, answer. I, I appreciate it, John. But here, here so I'll, in repitching this to Ron, I would just say this. And then John, maybe after that, you could, you could 
say whether you agree or disagree. I think that freedom, uh, undirected freedom, which is actually license, as is pointed out by right. Hadley Arkes in his article I'm about to reference when we go on to the related next topic, is license versus liberty. Generally speaking, secular humanists call license liberty, but they what they mean is license. Non-ordered freedom is license, freedom for its own sake. Ordered freedom is liberty. Thomists and Catholics in general understand the distinction quite well. I think blue staters, I, I'm still insisting on this distinction. Generally speaking, doesn't mean that there aren't conservatives in the blue states or vice versa, but generally speaking, blue staters and blue states represent the proposition that, yeah, that John just expressed, that license actually is the highest good and they, they call it liberty. They dress it up as liberty. Maybe the only political good. That's what Roe versus Wade stands for. But in the red states here where I met you guys, Mississippi, you're, you're both of your home state, um, as far as I know, um, Mississippi, that's not true. My neighbors in this neighborhood drive around golf, golf carts just for fun on the, around the neighborhood with their kids. They're talking. A lot of them still have Trump flags up. You know, they, they you know, all of them are wearing like Jesus shirts. Of course, they're, they're Baptists. But um, they love Jesus and they, they love God. They love the cross. They love country and they love their families. And they understand that liberty is ordered at serving these things. And they love the good. It's ordered at serving these four things. God, country, family, the good. So, and I think they're pretty, it's, it's, I'm generalizing a bit, but you have to generalize some. I think, Ron, it's pretty safe to say these folks are the norm in red states. Exception makes bad law. Yes, there are weirdos that live here that, that try to harass us. But just as there are, there are good people in blue states, but let's, let's deal with norms. I don't think lib, uh, freedom is the only thing that is honored now around the whole country. I think it is honored in the blue states where all of the institutions of culture, mainly media, are made. But red staters, we still have it. And I don't think there's any serious reconnection that would need to happen. Let's just, just indulge me for a second. I was looking at that row map that my wife uh, was, was talking about and showing people all the trigger states and the likely states that would join the trigger states. If, if this Dobbs decision goes through next month, immediately abortion will be unavailable. Those, that map pretty much represents the good guys in the country. I, I, I get it up for you, but I, I can only do the graphics when it's one-on-one um, -on -one interviews. So, I, I mean, that wouldn't be a lot of conversion if all of a sudden we were just free of the dead weight of the blue states. To me, it feels like some sort of uh, almost re-Edenic dream. What do, you, what do you say? I mean, can't we indulge the fantasy a little bit? The red states without the blue states? America would be great again. I say. Well, look, I mean, the, the, there, there are some things that would probably benefit both sides. I mean, you know, you came here from California, and I, I get the – but I mean, you travel California, and, and you get away from the big cities. You take a train up and down, and you see the farmlands and stuff. There's, there's much value in, in a lot of those states. So the, the, the thing that, that people are overlooking, assuming the case comes down the way everyone 
looks like it will, is this is a tremendous return of liberty to the citizens. This is the ability, what, what we've had so far, according to the Supreme Court, the Constitution has blocked states from being able to protect unborn children. Um, and you're, you're both uh, Whoopi Goldberg and President Biden referring to children now instead of yeah. plump cells. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that has prevented us from doing it when we wanted to. If this by itself, and this is going to, I think, lead to maybe your second topic, but by itself, all this case does is say, hey, Mississippi, you want to protect unborn children, you can. Uh, it, it doesn't really, it, it turns power back to the people. And you're talking about subsidiarity early, earlier, by the way. You know, John and I have published several articles together. I think our first one was actually on subsidiarity at the international level. And our, our best place piece was actually in the, the uh, Notre Dame uh, Law Review uh, on subsidiarity. And because what the really the, the, the international order is trying to establish is an international global legal, uh, uh, John dubbed it a, a, an empire of law where they construct the whole world and enforce it with things like the International Criminal Court, uh, which uh, John and I were among the earlier critics of it. I'm, I'm, it's having serious problems that we predicted 15 years ago. Um, but but I, I, I do think this return to the ability of locals to make more decisions, to decide you know, state by state, maybe avoids the necessity of a divorce that you're talking about because we can once again protect our children we would like the blue states to protect their children too and that's going to be the next step but 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 at least removing the impediment that stops us from protecting our unborn children this will be a huge thing if it comes down the way it looks and tim can i can i just add one quick thing um i'm a uh, i'm a third order dominican and you, uh, I, I may be the only law school dean that is, I'm not sure. Uh, but you, you used some interesting words. You talked about conversion. Uh, it, it, just to think about the church's history, it sure would have been easier with the Albigensian heresy and the Arianists. It would have been easy for the, the true Christians to say, you know, we're better off without those guys. And uh, let's... Uh, it's almost uh, the Benedict option that's been talked about so much. Let's retreat into our communities and uh, we'll preserve the faith and uh, we'll move forward with the truth and we're better off without them. But that, that was not St. Dominic's uh, solution. He went out with just a few people and he converted all of those people in uh, Southern France you know, you know, I just a plug for my law school. I hope you won't mind. Uh, Ave Maria Law School is uh, a faithful, truly Catholic school. And our entire mission is to train students in the truth about the human person and at the same time teach them law. So we're giving them, it's like, as we've been talking about, we're giving them the tool, a law license. You know how valuable that is in society but we're also teaching them how to use that tool properly. I think that's the solution to our cultural crisis. Uh, liberty, law licenses, all these tools God gave us uh, must be used uh, properly for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And so we're, we're producing 120 lawyers a year. 
that is, I believe, enough. We need a hundred times that many, but that's enough to be the leaven in our society to go out there and start changing institutions and culture. Now, that makes me a wild-eyed idealist, I think. But I have enough faith in the truth, as I said earlier, that I think that's the solution. We need to go out and change the culture. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm on my soapbox a little bit. No, that's that's beautiful. And, and um, Ave Maria Law is an excellent place. I, I nearly went there. Uh, they offered me a scholarship. I, I visited, I'd also visited the theology doctoral program. I'm forgetting in what order, but I, I very nearly went there. It was right when Abby was six months and we'd just gotten back in the States and gotten set up with uh, insurance for, yeah. for all of our many brain surgeries. But I nearly went there. It's, it's a beautiful school and it is one of a kind, Ave Maria Law, in terms of um, Sorry, Ron. I'm sure you agree, though, Ron. It, I, I, I've been I've been on their board of directors for ten years. So yeah, okay. I'm, I'm so you're happy. Yeah. I, I love Ole Miss. I'm very and and, and it's they're different experiences, but I'm I'm behind Ave as well. Right. No, I I knew you guys were both Ave guys. It's just the the, the holism of the formation of young lawyers is unbelievable. Now I I, I ended up staying in California, going to USD, which is far and away the best option for someone right. for, for a Catholic. Smart. Yeah. Because it's, because they're obsessed with Scott Rappaport and his originalism society. I met Scalia twice in very, very close quarters twice. He loves that. He loved that law school. And uh, also it's got the law and philosophy program and it's a place where you can take nine constitutional courses, but it didn't have the formation of attorneys uh, in the faith, even though it's technically a Catholic school that Ave Maria does. So that, I don't think that's starry-eyed optimism at all. I'm just saying, okay, let's, so now this will, will get us on to Hadley Arkey's article uh, called On the Consummate Statecraft of Samuel Alito, uh, appeared in the Catholic thing on May the 4th, uh, two days ago. And, it, you know, where Arkey's, who was the co-drafter of, uh, he's, he's a hero for the, the anti-abortion movement in many ways. He's the co-drafter of the Born Alive legislation of, 06 or 08, remember Obama wanted to, uh, in, in Illinois, be able to kill, kill mm -hmm. babies that were born alive who survived abortion. Um, it, you know, Arkeys wrote the original template for that legislation. He's a good man, but now he, he, he reports that he, quote, fell into a mild despair in this article on the Catholic thing when he read Alito's opinion, he called it statecraft, which is one of these Straussian terms. Uh, a lot of these guys are Straussians. Um, so does, does Alito, does Dobbs, does Alito underwhelm by giving this issue back to the states? See, I say no. And this ends up being a tremendous 14th Amendment and federalism question. What, what, uh, what do each of you gents say? John, John what do you say first than, than Ron? Well, I, I say no, Tim. You, you and I have not discussed why you say no. But I, I say no because, uh, first of all, uh, Justice Alito is candid, very candid, in saying in the opinion forthrightly what any any person speaking in good faith about Roe versus Wade 
for the past 20 years has said what Justice Alito has the guts to say in this draft opinion, which is Roe versus Wade was wrong from the start. It's a poor opinion. It is a blot on our constitutional uh, uh, system because it's poorly crafted. It's not well-reasoned. That is a huge thing. It is a yes. huge corrective. Uh, we should demand nothing short of excellence in the reasoning uh, and opinions of the Supreme Court and agree or disagree with them. Usually they do uh, have a very high level of excellence. Roe versus Wade and another handful of famous decisions in the court's history, most of which have been repudiated over time, uh, is an example of a very poor opinion. So just for that reason alone, it is a tremendous uh, contribution by Justice Alito. Now you're asking a broader philosophical point. I'll let Ron take that one. <laughs> All right. Well, th well thank you. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I'm just following up with what John said. I, I remember Vanderbilt University School of Law, my constitutional law professor is Tom McCoy, and he called it a, uh, a horse manure, basically, the, the logic behind it. And as a law student, I, I thought if you wanted an outcome determinative uh, uh, opinion that came to that conclusion, there were better ways even to have gotten there. If you invoke doctrines like quickening and things like that, you could have at least built upon a, a, a true legal argument that really has never been there with Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade, uh, people defended it because because those people liked the outcome that it provided. So this uh, Alito opinion appears to, to completely undercut that, I think in a very valid way. Uh, the question going back to more what Tim asked, I guess, uh, or, or that Hadley Arcus uh, uh, in his article brought. Hadley, by the way, has a chapter in a book that I edited that John wrote a chapter in as well. So we've known him for a while. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, I, I, I take it he's argued in essence that we should have gone further and said that the uh, through the 14th Amendment, we provide a, a right to life to, to unborn and, and that unborn life needs to be protected. I've long thought that that was a viable argument. Um, this doesn't go that far. This is an enormous step in and of itself, though. This allows, as I said earlier, this allows states to protect children, which the Constitution, as interpreted by the Supreme Court, up until now has prevented states like Florida and Mississippi and Louisiana from being able to protect unborn children even when they wanted to. And, and that to me has been a terrible stain on the constitution akin to others. I mean, you know, the Dred Scott opinion, the uh, 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 internment of Japanese during World War II, the separate- Or Amatu, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the separate, well, I, I was trying to just name the issues. So people who aren't lawyers, but, but, but you know, the Supreme Court has overturned some significant bad decisions in the past I think this is one of those. I agreed. I, I agree with both of you. And I also agree with you that um, Ar Arcus, I've read him in Claremont Review of Books for many years, and, mm -hmm. and I admire him much, is, is a very bright man. But he's, he says a few things, okay, that, that I, I do take issue with. And I, I started drafting a reply that I was hoping maybe the Catholic thing would run. But um, Robert Royal, who's a very, very nice man, said, hey, we're just backlogged. We can't. So I'm going to address him uh, a couple of these right now. He says, still, why turn away from the decisive moral 
point that should govern the judgment. He's critiquing Alito in Dobbs. And I, I, I like what a combination of what both of you just said, John and Ron. It's like he's not actually turning away from uh, moral reasoning in several, several spots. I was going to get it out chapter and verse, but he's just being bound by what his job is, interpreting <laughs> what the Constitution requires. That doesn't, the Constitution does not require. Um, automaton citizens to to reason amorally. The Constitution presumes moral citizens. The job, though, what 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 so underwhelmed Archives is the fact that Alito just stayed within his lane as a judge to interpret what the Constitution requires. But there's all kinds of really good moral reasoning in the decision. So, so he asked that. He says well, he, he wanted more moral judgment um, than the role of a judge, a justice, allows. You know, the, the, the role of the legislature is to make the laws. The role of the judiciary is to interpret the laws. The role of the executive is to enforce the laws. It's that simple. Stay in your lanes, what we call horizontal federalism. Um, and in another place, he says, in other words, at every point, in the draft opinion, there's a move to turn away from the more compelling moral argument that he, he could have used in hard brackets. But all this seems evidently done with the purpose of softening the moral edges of the argument, end quote. And then he says, okay, so I, I kind of get it. Um, he also says in another spot, uh, this, this is, I guess, where there's the most conceptual connection to what we were talking about before. He writes the following. Uh, I want to get your guys response to this. I'm going to give my response to it. I'm just going to read what part of what I drafted um, that I probably won't publish now because the Catholic thing was a uh, backlog. He writes, the, this right to abortion will remain secure for abortion supporters, at least in the states where they wish to live. This gets us back to blue state, red state. But of course, when people came out in pro-life marches in the worst weather in Washington, they never thought that they were arguing for a license to keep engaging in that killing or uh, uh, on a massive scale, so long as it was done in blue states, end quote. All right. Now, I, I found this. I don't want to say disingenuous. I just found it misleading. OK, here, here's how I would respond. Of course, th to say that uh, the people that showed up for pro-life marches were actually engaging in uh, they were arguing for continued engagement in abortion type murder is really wrong, right? Uh, it, it vastly misrepresents what the pro-life or anti-abortion marchers march for, which is namely to compel the reminder that in this conglomerated country of 50 different sovereign peoples, we are a country of a compact between 50 peoples, uh, 50 states, the principle of subsidiarity imperiously recommends against what Pius XI calls a grave evil of interference by one people in the police power of another. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that if there is some one and done stroke of the pen to get rid of abortion by whatever, a judge or a president, I wouldn't support it. I, I would at this point, but I'll, I'll have to explain why in a second. It's only because <laughs> subsidiarity has been so squashed. Um, Hadley Arcus forgets or overlooks, this is my main point. I want you guys to respond to this. He forgets or overlooks that in America, that police power, 
the power explicitly to regulate a state's health, safety, welfare, morals, that's the big one, or security, has always resided in individual states, not in the national government. Individual states get that police power from the 10th Amendment, the power to legislate morality. That's this people accuse me of being libertarian only at the federal level. I'm not federal level. All they're allowed to do is their Article One, Section Eight powers, which are very unsexy things like coining money. They're not allowed to be telling us how to live at the federal level. At the state level, they are. They have the police power to uh, what is it? Regulate health, safety, welfare, morals, security. So I'm not a libertarian at the level of state law, sexy legislation that involves the way we really live. That should be coming from the state legislatures, which can differ state to state. That's just. That's just the theory of America. That's the Constitution. Um, Arkis also forget, and this is my main point. Sorry to go on. Arkis forgets or overlooks also, big point, that Roe jurisprudence was predictably, it was, it's from 1868, was predictably based upon Lincoln's dark legacy, the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment's almost total subversion of American subsidiarity. A reader of Arkis would never know uh, what, what the 14th Amendment is. That's right. Let me, let me state this more clearly. Anti-abortion Hadley Arkis, great hero for the movement, regularly extols, and I think he does twice in this article, the 14th Amendment, which jurisprudence may is the very legal theory that made it illegal for the states to make abortion illegal. People out there might not know this, but... When, when a case is heard, it's not just nine judges, nine justices in this case, deciding what they like. There has to be a legal theory. The 14th Amendment is what made it illegal for states to make abortion illegal. Um, it also made it illegal for the individual states to illegalize porn, contraception, right, in Griswold v. Connecticut, sodomy, and gay marriage. So it's now nationalized. By nationalized, I mean illegal for it to be illegal. In any of the 50 states, abortion can't be illegal. Porn, contraception, sodomy, gay marriage, that all comes from the 14th Amendment that is so extolled by Arkes. What is going on here? Of course, Arkes doesn't want subsidiarity subverted. The 14th Amendment represents the subversion of subsidiarity in pretty, pretty naked terms. He doesn't want subsidiarity subverted in order to force abortion to be legal. That, that would be unfair to him. He wants it subverted in order to make it illegal. Um, and of course, here he and I find ourselves the very nearest ideologically. Look, if you could do it, I'd be tempted to do it. I want to play you uh, in a second uh, a, a funny quote that I think represents very aptly what it is to try to use the 14th Amendment or to try to use some battering ram against subsidiarity for friends of God. Uh, I, I don't think this, this can really happen, but if it could, if you could defeat subsidiarity, which Pius XI says in Quadragesa Moano, should never happen. Bad stuff will always arise. Then it would be kind of like using the one ring of power against Sauron, right? So the question arises, what difference does it make whether we eviscerate abortion the subsidiarian way which is what I'm going to talk about a little bit at the end, or the opposite. The Catholic answer is 
it makes all the difference in the world. You actually, because it's wired into nature, you actually cannot use some anti-subsidiary subsidiarity thing, means, mechanism, like the 14th Amendment, to do good. All that will come from taking away the state's rights by the federal government, which the 14th Amendment did to legislate on the police power, all that will come from it is you go from slavery, horrible, bad, horrible, evil, to worse, abortion, horrible, evil. This is like a scene from uh, Fellowship of the Ring at the Council of Elrond. Let me play you guys this. Think the ring is 14th Amendment. Uh, Boromir of Gondor is like Hadley Arkies in this case. I guess I'm like Aragorn. That, that's, that's just an accident, though. Listen to this. It is a gift. A gift to the foes of Mordor. Why not use this ring? Long has my father, the steward of Gondor, kept the forces of Mordor at bay by the blood of our people. Are your lands kept safe? Give Gondor the weapon of the enemy. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. <laughs> the One Ring answers to Sauron alone. It has no other master. So you see, okay, so, so Ron, you respond to this. You see, you can't use, this is my theory. You can't use something that, that the popes and the greatest Catholic thinkers and the church has taught us is evil. Uh, centralized power, you know, global. It's basically globalism, right? To, to have Washington, D.C. telling people in Honolulu 5,000 miles away how to live morally. All they can do is Article 1, Section 8 stuff. You have them trying to assert a police power, even to do good the way Arceus wants. That's like trying to use the ring of power. What do you say? Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that we need to look at the structure of the, the Bill of Rights and the 14th Amendment in, in essence to, I think, at least to, to counter your argument a little bit, I'll say that that uh, the Bill of Rights put into place shortly after the Constitution was adopted was understood uh, and, and, and seemed to work fine. It gave very specific limitations on the federal government. However, that allowed slavery to go ahead because the, the states were not regulated by the constitution the way the federal government was so after the civil war we get the civil war amendments 13 14th 15th amendment the 14th amendment which says states cannot deprive individuals of, of due process or equal protection of the law for a hundred years that was understood as very minimal uh limitation i mean it, it's doing away slavery for sure uh, but uh, in terms of our criminal laws in particular, the kind of stuff you're talking about, uh, it only said states had to provide those things that are inherent in the very concept of justice. Uh, so it provided fairly minimal uh, restrictions on states that was still left large, you know, overwhelmingly to the states uh, with, with, with a few little, little touches here and there. Uh, then it's the 1960s, and, it, I, and, and I'm talking about this criminal procedure, which I've got a stack of exams I have to grade right behind me here. But <laughs> criminal procedure in the 1960s, you get the Warren Court, the same Earl Warren Court that solved the Kennedy assassination, uh, once and for all, same, same Earl Warren. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Warren Court made everything uh, incorporated. They adopted a new way of evaluating 
the 14th Amendment and they said, is this fundamental to the American scheme of justice? They went from, from a very limited thing to a, hey, we're a great big thing like you're talking about. And so in DC, we can make laws for Hawaii. And that's where I think the, the, the focus should be. What happened in the 1960s when we reinterpreted the 14th Amendment instead of where we, how we fused it for the first hundred years of its existence. Uh, and and I, so I do think you've got a point that, that when you federalize everything and you do strip away subsidiarity and you uh, don't allow states and localities to make the laws at the level that affects us most directly, where when I have a, I have a problem, I can go down the street to the, the alderman and say, hey, we need to fix this and, and, and they'll take care of it. I mean, I can do that for for things that are decided locally, but when they're all decided in D.C., it's really hard for me to have any kind of voice. And I, I do think that, that we've, I, I think you have a point in what you're saying. On the other hand, I'm also with you. I think I'd, I'd sign on if we could uh, do away with abortion. I'd probably, I probably would sign on to, to, to this no. one. Since we live in the world where the 14th Amendment is understood the way it's been understood since the 1960s. Yeah, what do you I, say, John? if I can jump in, Tim, uh, very stimulating uh, challenge you've uh, raised. Excellent. Uh, this is what makes law school so much fun. We can have these discussions all the time. Um, I, I had a couple reactions of what, what you said. Uh, first, on the 14th Amendment, I'm, I'm not a scholar of the 14th Amendment. I think uh, I echo what Ron uh, was getting at, which is the 14th Amendment I think has been misinterpreted. Uh, and uh, there are scholars, Randy Barnett and um, uh, Chris Green at Mississippi and a number of scholars have been working diligently to correct those uh, misinterpretations. So, uh, but that, that is the world we live in where the 14th amendment has been interpreted beyond where uh, apparently its drafters intended. Uh, on a broader point, I, I think there's two things you touched on, Tim, that are both true and so important. With regard to subsidiarity, why is it that the popes, uh, our church, the social, the Catholic social doctrine of the church is an undiscovered treasure as far as I'm concerned. Uh, your book about the Catholic nature of our founding, uh, Tim, was an eye-opener on that. It, it's really an undiscovered treasure. Why do the popes emphasize subsidiarity? Is it because of politics? No. It's because they embrace the Aristotelian point that human beings are born with abilities that, they, that we need to develop. And it's up to us living in community to develop our own and each other's uh, uh, God-given talents. And how do we do that? We don't do it by the government telling us what to do and what not to do. We do it through developing habits and through our own moral reasoning. So subsidiarity is not just a political point, it's a moral point. Yes. A higher authority takes away from me my ability to develop myself, then they are committing a grave moral harm against me. Yes. And, uh, the brilliance of our founders, with one or two exceptions, were not Catholics, uh, was that they understood that philosophical point. And so grave moral problem with row number one is 
that it took away from the local governments, from the localities closest to the people, the ability to do moral reasoning and uh, therefore uh, have done a moral harm to the American people. I'll state it that broadly. Number two, and it's related, and you touched on this, Tim, is you you use the great expression, stay in their lanes. Uh, The founders never intended judges to be our moral solids on the hill making moral decisions for us. Uh, Five people in robes telling us what is moral and what is not moral. That that would be preposterous to the founders. Rather, and you touched on this, the idea was, and I would say still should be and still is, that the people are responsible for moral reasoning. How do we do it? Well, in Athens, which at the time was the size of Oxford, Mississippi, you really could get all the the people together and they could reason together. In in our system, uh, we do it through the Republican form of government. Uh, And uh, this is how subsidiarity then dovetails with the idea that moral reasoning should come from our legislatures which in our system, for better or worse, our legislatures are the voice of the people, not judges. And and so there's sort of two power divisions here that we we really should be clear about, and you've touched on it. Number one, judges are not our moral arbiters. Morality should come from the people. And that dovetails with the idea of subsidiarity. How do we best obtain the moral reasoning and moral judgment of the people? Well, at the level closest to the people. So in a way, again, maybe I'm being idealistic, by kicking this back to the states, uh, we're embarking on another great political and I would say moral experiment and see, to paraphrase Franklin, whether we are worthy of it, all right? We, We now have the opportunity in our states closest to the people to express the moral will of uh, the American people. No more five justices means what's moral in our country, at least on this issue. I'm excited about the possibility. And I would say finally with Hadley Arcus, who is brilliant, and I I read the Claremont Review pretty religiously as well, Tim. Doesn't surprise me that you do as well. By, By condemning or or criticizing Alito for, uh, I'm going to put it strongly, for punting on the moral issue, he's embracing the idea of these Supreme Court justices being our platonic guardians. In other words, he's embracing one of the grave errors of Roe in cases like it. And I think that's just a mistake. But does so okay. Two two things in response, and then we'll we'll move on because I I do have a, a a way for reconciling, giving this back to the states, and not having as countrymen people that embrace the opposite res publica, which I want to conclude with. Um, but to me, the Fourteenth Amendment, even its original conception for for the first hundred years, until you got the Warren Court, the reintroduction of something called substantive due process, where you started getting privacy made up and found after 100 years from 1868 to 1968. That's when the 14th Amendment started being used really evilly. But I say of the 14th Amendment, 
Ron and John. Exactly. There's nothing else I say this about under the sun. Exactly what I say about Sacrosanctum Concilium. I say, yes. Actually, no, it's not as uh, philosophically sound on its face in its four corners as Sacrosanctum Concilium. Sacrosanctum Concilium, you know, which is the Vatican II document that gave us the new mass, is technically sound on its face, but they knew how they were going to apply it at the time, they're, how they're going to miss apply its vagaries. 14th Amendment isn't quite so sound, but it's similar. I mean, it's at least good because you can get people to go along with it because they say slavery is really wrong, which it is. Well, it's not as wrong as abortion. And I'm willing to give this to the states on abortion. The fundamental idea of America is that um, it's the 50 sovereign states or the 13 sovereign states. They do all the moral reasoning. That is America. And you don't come over at the top at them, no matter how crazy uh, their legislation is in one of the states. That was America. The, the combo consolidated and confederated government that, that Madison claims to be describing in, in, um, in Federalist 10 and 39 and 51, that the, the anti-Federalists were really, really serious about it. So I say the 14th Amendment is like that, where this, the problems were baked in at the time because one, they didn't really have the legal theory. I say, look, are we comfortable with the theory of America, it seems like when people say, well, because of slavery, no, the, we had to breach subsidiarity. John, the best part, one of the best parts of the great thing you just said is subsidiarity is not just a legal theory put forward by the Catholic Church. It's not even just a moral theory put forward by the Catholic Church. It is part of our ontology. It's part of the fabric of being That's that right. you cannot get around it. If there's one state in this consolidated confederated combo called the United States, that's like the 51st state, murder land. The original theory of America on subsidiarity is like, well, that's their republic. The individual states is really the republic. This is more like Congress is a treaty gov term. Federal is a treaty gov term. It's more like we're just a league of nations. So we're getting into really philosophical stuff. On the other hand, what's mo I think, you were saying something similar. I might be going a little further. What's most offensive about Archie's view is that uh, like the 14th, uh, like the abortion yielding 14th Amendment, he paradoxically supports his attempt to nationalize top-down morals from the sleaziest state in the union, cesspool on the Potomac, Washington, D.C., informs a paper-thin veil for the clear human inability, perfectly perfectly enable inability to galvanize continent-wide moral consensus 300 million strong. Uh, and, and so that's the very point Arcus sidesteps here. And, and, and all of those Claremont Review of Books guys, they're all Straussians. They all want a big government conservatism. There, there's no such thing. And Pius XI sub, sub, furnishes us with the reason why there's no such thing as big government conservatism. It will, this will always eventuate. This is not an accident that from the 14th amendment, which was the big government central way to deal with a moral problem that should have been dealt with by the States. Hopefully slavery got rid was gotten rid of by each of the States. Fed has nothing to say on that matter. There's no legal or moral theory to justify them doing it. Um, instead of that, uh, they all want, they all act surprised that an even graver evil than slavery arose out of the 14th Amendment, abortion. And in, in, in his hurry to canonize 
uh, the 14th Amendment's anti-subsidiarity, I would say Arkey's, uh, you know, sidesteps the point that everyone, yours, my, everyone's virtually and morally representative republic is our state, not the union. The union is a leviathan, one third the size of the landmass of the third largest continent on the globe and 60% of its population. In other words, you are actually being virtually represented if you're in a red state and they make abortion illegal, even if across the border in, um, I don't know, where, where might they have it uh, legal in, in a month? Where might abortion still be legal that's, that's close enough to here? I guess the closest place is like Colorado or something. Illinois. That's, okay, yeah, take your pick, Illinois, Colorado. That's kind of like China having forced abortion. It's not, re- I, 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 I'm sad for all the Chinese baby and the Illinois babies that are aborted. I pray for them. I'd love to end it. But if we look at our res publica as our state, which is the idea behind America, then all of a sudden we are like, well, we are being represented. We're not in moral league with these people. If we zoom out and we take the more 1868 view of what a union is, then I'd say the solution is not to try to breach subsidiarity. I'd say the solution is if I'm feeling morally accountable for what people in the state of Illinois are doing, then we need to dissolve the political band between us. And that's so in that sense, Arkis is saying Alito's uh, draft opinion is good, but he's not going far enough. I'm saying Arkis's will is good, but it's it too is an attempt at a shortcut for what really needs to happen in a 300 million person republic, a contradiction in terms, 150 million of them love abortion, love child murder. I'd say he's the one taking the shortcut. Arkis is. What needs to happen is we need to divide this thing up. Mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore. What do you guys say? Well, I, you know, I, I, I take your point and I, I, I go back to stuff John and I have written on with the International Criminal Court where when you create a structure, you don't know who's going to control it later on. And I think that's sort of what the problem is you're pointing to it slightly different angle perhaps than, than, than I think of it as, but, but one of the reasons we're, we've been very suspect of the international criminal court yeah. was you know, someday some other people with very different values than we may have from the United States take over. And when they have control, they have control. And that's sort of what happened uh, already. And sometimes with the United States and that's what you're, so that's what you're saying. I think you can have a structure that recognizes subsidiarity and allows for uh, much more local decision decision making. But this, but when you have a structure that that encompasses everything, that's why the structure is so important. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons uh, that so many, uh, mainly Republicans, I guess, but but people are concerned about the leak from the Supreme Court. It damages the structure when the structure the structure. Uh, has end results and consequences that can be very significant, even if we don't see them today. If we can no longer trust our Supreme Court to handle things, that's going to impact things in the future. And I, I think if we put a structure in place where we are able to, and, and, and that's your argument against the 14th Amendment, I, I think we can operate within a 14th Amendment, but, but I, I get your point 
Um, that, I'm, so I'm not buying the divorce language yet again. We tr- I live in Mississippi with you. We tried it once. It didn't, it didn't go well. <laughs> I, I would just very quickly just to, you know, build on what Ron was saying. Uh, uh, Tim, what, what I hear, what I hear you saying, and uh, it's perfectly uh, reasonable looking at history that, uh, and these are my words, not yours, the, the founders built this magnificent structure and it failed us on a grave moral issue, slavery. And that led to bloodshed and almost the dissolution of the union. And now we have another grave moral issue. And is sending that issue back to the states, which was the faith that the founders had before the Civil War about how we work through moral issues, Will it be the same result? Will it lead to either actual bloodshed or the dissolution of the union? In other words, the structure let us down before as a political body uh, uh, on a grave moral issue. Do we run the same risk here? That's the very poignant question that I hear you raising. And my only response to that is that um, well, it has failed us once. I still have faith in the system and I'm not sure what the alternative is. So I want to embark on the experiment and have our system, as Ron was just saying, have our system work through the structure that the founders built, but recognizing the risk you're pointing out, Tim, it may not work. It may end up leading to the divorce. But I'm willing to go through the exercise, through the experiment. I have, and I'm not saying you don't, Tim, I know you do, but I have great faith in the uh, American people. And more importantly, I have great faith in, as I said earlier, the truth always wins. Uh, Even if that process and the truth being vindicated is a bloody and painful one, and and certainly no one hopes for that. Anyway, that's that's my response to you. I, I think you and I uh, uh, see things pretty much the same way. I'm just betting the other side of the line from you, Tim, is the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds sounds like we're all pretty close to one mind. Dig this little consolation. If I if I had the fancy, if I can make this a T chart on the screen for people to see, which I, I can do this stuff when it's just a solo vid, but then I would look do the South in 1861. That would be one side of the T-chart. The South in 2022. So when it comes came to the Civil War then and a, a theoretical great divorce now in 2022, the South represents the good guys here in 2022. I would say the South in 1861 had first bullet point, the wrong issue, slavery, right? They were wrong on slavery from a moral perspective, but they were right on their philosophy of government and nature and scope of government. They had the right philosophy and scope of government, um, even though they had the wrong issue. And thirdly, they were the initiator, right? Well, actually, no, Kevin R.C. Goodsman's going to take me to toll. They're taken to be the initiator in that conflict of the Civil War, it, by and large. I, I don't think they actually were, but they were, they were much closer to the initiator anyway. Look at the South now. Now, 
in, in abortion. Abortion is the new slavery. It's more important. There's a conceptual connection. It grew out of the 14th Amendment, which was a bad Band-Aid. The federal government breaching subsidiarity tried to put on the slavery issue. Federal government doesn't have the authority to do that. So now it's abortion and the South represents the right issue, the right moral issue, right? We're on the right side of it. And we have the right philosophy of um, government, the right scope of government, subsidiarity, just as the South had in 1861. And in this case, this is the really unique opportunity. Thirdly, the South would not be, the red states would not be taken to be the initiators of a civil war. It would be the blue states. So all I'm saying is like Damian Lillard, bye-bye, let them go. Let them go. This, this is so much better. This, unlike in 1861, where there had to be bloodshed, I'm saying if these blue staters really have, they're, they're this satanic, they're this Luciferian, it means this much to them to be able to slaughter their, their babies, for the mother to be able to slaughter her baby. Let them go. And this, it's, it's perfect. So this is in a new and improved 1861, where we're on the right moral issue and we're not the initiator. Plus, we, we retain that we have the right philosophy and scope of government what, what do you guys each say to that just, just well, because alito did not take the arcus line they don't need to break away they can they can allow abortion they don't need the divorce to do that but right? they're calling for it all the same they're, they're calling for it in the streets ron i'm just saying that just from having it taken away in 26 states or so they are saying let's 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 we're going to do our blue states and we're going to leave. It doesn't quite make sense. Nothing they say does, but I'm saying if they are bad, good. What, what, what do you say, John? Well, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't take seriously the talk of the blue states of, uh, uh, of the divorce. Um, and that, that's my main reaction. But if I, I'm not, I guess the question comes down, are we willing to fight another civil war to keep the union together over this issue. And um, what I want to do is to preserve and to continue living in uh, states that have a proper moral compass. I mean, that's my entire reaction. So as long as I can do that, if these other states, I, I just can't fathom celebrating killing babies. I just can't fathom the ethos of that. I I don't understand it. So as long as I can live in a place where that is not the prevailing ethos, then I'm happy. And I'm I'm really not sure. I don't, you ask my personal opinion, I'm not really willing to arm up to keep people in a union with me that are part of that ethos. But I also don't think it's going to come to that. I wish it would. Yeah, I can't fathom that either. I don't. I don't wish it would. Just if, if anyone takes a sound bite, I don't wish it would come to that. I'm sorry, Tim, to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. No, you you guys are, are clear. You don't wish it would come to that. I don't want I don't want fighting. I just I just want a peaceable divorce. Divide those assets equitably. The government, whatever, however it would work. Um, like St. Augustine reminds us government is not secular secularum right this is this is city of man not city of god it's 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 government's fall and um breaking it up in an amicable way would be awesome i can't imagine celebrating abortion i also can't imagine it's right 50 50 half the people in this country love abortion they love it i can't imagine calling them my countrymen and i and i don't 
and I, I really mean this. I'm not trying to be maudlin or melodramatic. I just don't want to be, we're not in a rest publica. We don't share. They are the opposite. We are Christians, Catholic Christians with a low scope, with a small scope of government. They are worshipers of everything that we hold the opposite. I, they're not my countrymen. So you know, it was probably 25 years ago. Zarneski said something that I scoffed at him at the time, but I think it's proven true. It's, Maybe the only thing that, that he's had truth for that long, but uh, he, he said the left is motivated by the uh, desire to, for sexual license, basically at any time when, and with anyone you want. And so, my, and, and, and abortion fits right in with that as to so many uh, of the other sort, sort of movements we see. Uh, and and uh, so I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's fair to say they love abortion. They love what abortion provides. And that is the ability of complete sexual freedom. Yeah, I to- totally agree with um, John 25 years ago, you now. And the only thing we disagree about, I, I do want to just make this clear because both of you yeah. guys hold hold big, important positions um, at law schools is so I alone on this program have expressed, look, I think I think the great divorce is a good thing. Both both uh, Ron and John were saying though we agree about all the abortion stuff. Most of the 14th Amendment stuff. No, we, we want it. We want to we want to continue to run the experiment a little longer. I want that clear so no one's out there saying, "Oh, Ron and John said something extreme trying to get them." That that's utter law, right? You guys you guys disagreed with me there. I, yes. I want to make that clear. For- I, I just want to say Amber Heard and Johnny Depp show that there's no such thing as an amicable divorce. Yeah, yeah. When people say I've been Johnny following Depp- that trial for fun. Yeah. If he got up on the wrong side of the bed, grouchy one morning, now we know why, right? She she. <laughs> soiled soiled his side of the bed what what a woman um okay final question i promise i won't even say anything here i just i promised a great friend of the show that i would ask you guys will dobbs preempt to borrow a legislative metaphor will dobbs's judicial language preempt biden the biden congress's hr 3755 if it passes, it's, it's passed one of the houses, but I say, I don't think it can. I don't think, I don't think you can codify a row from a national legislature just because it's the legislature and not the judiciary. I don't think you can codify it nationally. If Dobbs stands for the proposition that abortion is going back to the States, what do you guys say? Well, uh, you and I exchanged uh, a discussion on this and um, I think um I think we shouldn't underestimate how clever the judicial and lawyerly minds are on the other side. I think uh, to quote the great philosophical film, The Godfather, difficult, but not impossible. All right. Uh, A Hyman Roth scene. Uh, Difficult, but not impossible. After we uh, spoke to him, I took a look just very briefly. Uh, The bill itself, the House bill, cites the first clause of Article 1, Section 8 as the the jurisdictional or the the power or the uh, authority for Congress to propose that bill. Well, just to tell your audience that might not be lawyers, the first clause of Article 1, Section 8 is the General Welfare Clause. So we have Congress, the proponents of this bill, resurrecting a theory of constitutional law that the Supreme Court has rejected, but they're not gonna stop, they never stop, that Congress can pass anything that's in the general welfare. Uh, And so that's interesting by itself. 
there's going to be presumably an argument that this bill, Congress has this power to pass to codify Roe because of the general welfare clause. Well, that means just for the non-lawyers that might be listening, that means Congress has the power to do anything, right? That means they can pass any bill, regardless of what the founders uh, meant about limited federal government. But even if that doesn't work, later in the bill, and I just skimmed it, I didn't read it carefully, they cite several other reasons you and I exchanged. Uh, and the, the, the one that I think they would rely on most strongly is the Interstate Commerce Clause. It's in there, Tim. Uh, I don't know if you spotted it when you looked through it. Yeah. Uh, now, that type of reasoning, uh, that I, I predict that would be litigated in the courts. That type of reasoning has only failed once, as far as I know. Uh, in other words, the Supreme Court has only struck down really one important uh, interstate commerce regulation in recent history as not really being interstate commerce. And that was, I think it was called the Violence Against Women Act about 30 years ago that sought to regulate guns as an interstate commerce issue. The Supreme Court said in that case, look, guns travel in interstate commerce but this is a health and welfare regulation. It's not an interstate commerce regulation. But anyway, I'm getting a little too deep in the weeds. Let's just back up. Can they do it? Well, let's not underestimate. They're going to try. Uh, general welfare clause, interstate commerce clause, some type of exotic, or, or to me exotic, but perhaps not to them, exotic theory under the 14th Amendment, you know, privileges and immunities clause or something like that. There are routes that uh, uh, the proponents of this bill can take, I would predict, that uh, would lead to litigation in the courts. Uh, in other words, wouldn't just be dismissed out of hand. So to me, the question isn't, do they have the power to do it theoretically? I'll bet you all of us would agree on all of those theories and whether they should work. The question is, they pass the bill, Will a, will a federal judge enjoin it out of hand because Congress had no power to do it? I, I would say no. This is going to be a live issue. Well, I'd be interested in what Ron had to say. Yeah, even if... We'll, we'll add a little gloss for, for Ron's take at this. Even if these five justices hopefully are a little bit pissed off, I'd be a lot pissed off because they are in danger now, which is the very point of the leak. Oh, why can't they be like, oh, you want to play hardball, eh? Well, now we're going to change the language. We're going to tighten up the language. We're going to broaden the language a little bit such that um, this just fully, fully defederalizes Roe versus Wade abortion rights. Can't, they, they, they can, this is where the draftsmanship of, of the opinion matters a great deal. What counts as dicta and what counts as black letter law, right? Can't they kind of play defense preemptively against um, 3755, Ron, on the cusp of what John just yeah, said? Yeah, I think they had, you had to know if you're going to make this kind of a change, if you're a Alito and you're drafting this opinion, you had to understand, um, he, he's a brilliant man. He knew that there would be pushback. I don't think the leak provided him any particular new insight to that. So he had to be, if he, if he was trying to, to preempt a legislative response at the federal level, uh, he would have done it already. And so I'm not sure there's a lot he would do because of this. I do, I mean, the, the thing about getting through uh, legislation, I mean, 
the question I think would be the Senate, whether they can, the, the so-called filibuster, whether they can, can get the legislation out for a vote. I mean, I, there may be sufficient motivation to, to break through that procedural requirement, but I, I, I think that's where there's an issue. They got to get this done, presumably. Well, we used to assume that we were going to have a, uh, a Republican uh, wave coming through in November. I don't know what this does to the, to the election forecasts now, um, because presumably this motivates the left significantly. Uh, but, but I agree with John that I think the legislation, if it gets through, it, 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 and, and you're going to have enough, certainly House members and, and the president said he signed it, I think, and, and, and if we get caught up in, in uh, uh, litigation, question to me is, is whether there's a block in the Senate some way to keep it from really coming for a vote uh, on the floor. Wow. Wow. Well, we're agreeing that the political capital on the other side is shocking. It's shocking how this is their sacrament, you know, the, the sacrament of child murder. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the midterms. I don't know what's going to happen in the decision Dobbs itself, but you guys have furnished for us a really good look at what some of the ins and the outs mean. And uh, I, man, I just, I really, I'm, I'm excited that, that now you've both been on the show. I'd like to bring you back for, for legal questions. I, I really have enjoyed talking to both Ron and John. Uh, I talked to you guys behind the scenes, but it's fun talking to you on the live airwaves. So thanks for joining today. Thanks, Tim. It's been a real privilege and honor. Thank you. Yeah, very much. I appreciate it too. Okay, well, I'll talk to you guys uh, by text soon. Thanks a million. Everyone out there, like this video, subscribe, click the notification bell, uh, support this program on Patreon, timothyjgordon.com. We're going to be doing for patrons a summer reading club I am reading, I think, aside from Lord of the Rings, the second greatest Catholic novel of the 20th century, Windswept House. I, I'm doing that mm. in Reading Club. Tonight, we have our third meeting, uh, but not on my channel, on the Quite Frankly channel. So go there if you're part of this Reading Club. Uh, but I'm going to, as soon as we finish this in four weeks, I'm going to start a patrons only for all level of patron, uh, even the lowest level of patron, a reading club of the first greatest non-Lord of the Rings Catholic novel of the 20th century, written the year after Windswept House. It's called Father Elijah by Michael O'Brien. Both these books are incredibly predictive in their uh, prognostications of what would happen in the Francis pontificate. Unbelievable stuff. Father Elijah's just got a little more action. Um, so that's one enhanced benefit that all patrons will get if you join up today. Also, as we've talked till we're, no pun intended, blue in the face, the red state, blue state issue has never been more important. I've been telling you guys this for four, almost four years. Now you get it. Get the hell out of your blue states. Get to a red state. That's your real republic. Realestateforlife.org will help you do it. I am not joking. Get out before the midterm elections. God bless you all. Deus Volt, God be with us. Thanks, Ron and John. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee.
blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.